Well, good evening, church family. Here we are, Christmas Eve 2020, and I'm pre-recording this message here in an empty auditorium, and you're probably watching this at your kitchen table or in your living room, and normally our, our facility would be packed out with, with worshipers and family and friends and neighbors who have come to sing and come to hear the gospel preached and proclaimed, but this year, our church family is not with us to celebrate Christmas. This year, Really, most of our extended family and relatives won't be with us to celebrate Christmas. Our neighbors and our close friends will not be with us to celebrate Christmas. But the truth is, is that God is with us. And one of the major themes in the Christmas story is that very truth, God with us, Emmanuel. God is with us, and this is a truth that we need to embrace and receive and understand and apply and live out in our lives now more than ever. If you have a Bible, I'd invite you to turn it to Matthew chapter 1, and I'm going to read verses 18 through 23. Matthew 21, verses 18 to 23. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, this is your word, inspired by your Holy Spirit, teaching us about the birth of your Son. And so, Lord, I, I pray, God, for those who, who are believers or those who are seekers, Lord, for everyone who is streaming this service right now, Lord, that you would open our ears, do more than that, Lord. Open our hearts to receive what you want to say to us. Help us to know and understand what it means for Jesus to be Emmanuel, to be God with us. Now, as we study the Bible, we need to recognize that we're living in 2020 in North America, and we're reading a document that was written 2,000 years ago, and the document that we're reading right now is, is actually quoting something that was written 730 years prior to that. And so in order for us to really understand what this name given to Jesus is, this name Emmanuel, in order for us to understand what it means for us now, we need to, we need to think about what did it mean 2,000 years ago? And what did it mean for the prophet that, that Matthew was quoting here in Matthew chapter 1? 
And so we're going to go right to the source. But before we try to figure out what Emmanuel means for us, let's, let's think about what it meant when, when this prophecy about a virgin conceiving and, and a baby being named Emmanuel, what did it mean in Isaiah's day? So if you're taking notes today, you can just jot this down. What did Emmanuel mean for Isaiah? You see, Matthew here is quoting the great prophet Isaiah. I invite you to turn to Isaiah chapter 7. And we want to look at this quotation in its original setting, in its original context, so that we can be able to apply it to our own lives. So, it's 734 B.C. And there is a king in the land of Judah named Ahaz. Now, Ahaz's grandfather, Uzziah, loved the Lord, followed the Lord, didn't finish well, but, but, but was leading the people to follow God. Ahaz's father, Jotham, did the same thing. Not, not a perfect king by any stretch of the imagination, not as great as David or Solomon, but was leading the nation in a healthy direction and honoring the Lord. But then when we come to Ahaz, he took a, a radical turn in an opposite direction. He led the, the nation away from following God and following all kinds of idols and false religions and evil practices. So we're told in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 1, In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it. This original prophecy took place in the context of a battle, in a war. You've got these two kings from the north. Let me show you this on a map. You've got Rezin from Syria, and you've got Pekah from Israel. And these two nations are teaming up to go against Judah. Now, some of you are thinking, well, isn't, aren't Israel, aren't those the good guys? I mean, how, wh why are they going against Judah? Well, Israel and Judah used to be one country under David and under Solomon, but they're, they're, they're gra David's grandson, Solomon's son, Rehoboam, messed, messed the whole thing up. And the nation ended up getting divided into Two. And so what used to be a united nation became two nations that were continually at war with one another. And Israel teamed up with Syria, their neighbor in the north, to try to put pressure on and conquer Judah. So this is the, the context in which this prophecy comes. In verse 2, of, of Isaiah chapter 7, it says, When the house of David was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim. The house of David, that's Ahaz, because he's a descendant of, of David and of Solomon. He's part of the royal line of Judah. He's even in Jesus' genealogy in Matthew chapter 1. When he finds out that Syria is in league with Ephraim, Ephraim is another name for the nation of Israel, it says the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. When they saw that these armies were marching towards them, the, the, the army of Israel and the army of Syria, Ahaz and all of the people were afraid. Now, kids, if you're watching uh, tonight, uh, I want you to, to look around and get your whole family involved right now. I want you to make your most frightened face, like you're scared, you can't believe what something so frightening has happened. So just go ahead and make that face, look around at your other family members, even if 
you don't have kids at home right now, just look around, even look right into, the, right into your own computer if you're watching this by yourself. Make that scared face. And then it says that the, the people were shaking like the trees in the wind. This was such a, a, a difficult and trying time for the people of Israel. Then look at verse 3, it says, And the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out to meet Ahaz. You see, this is an amazing thing. In Ahaz's time of crisis, he didn't go and turn to the Lord. He didn't go and try to seek God and make things right. No, you see, Ahaz had, had already, he thought his ship had already sailed. He had already turned his back on God. He wanted nothing to do with God. And yet, even though Ahaz didn't come seeking after God, God came seeking after Ahaz. You might think that you spent too much of your life not living for God. You might think that you've done some things that God could never forgive you for. Listen, if you read the story of Ahaz in 2 Kings chapter 16, you would understand the, the evil atrocities, the, the, the heinous acts of just utter, utter evil that, that Ahaz was involved in. He had run from God, and yet God ran after him. He sent the prophet Isaiah to go and to talk with him. And so they talk back and forth a little bit. Isaiah and Ahaz, the, the prophet and the king, are talking back and forth. And Isaiah offers Ahaz. He says, hey, Ahaz, just ask God for a sign. And then Ahaz, who didn't pay attention to the Bible at all or didn't try to follow God at all, he actually quotes the Old Testament. He, said, he quotes Deuteronomy chapter 6. He says, I'm not going to put the Lord to the test. See, Ahaz knew a little bit about the Bible. He knew the way that he, he should talk or how he should live. Isaiah says, ask for a sign. And Ahaz says, I'm not going to ask for a sign. And then look down at verse 14. It says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign, and here it is. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. This is the original context of the, of the promise of the prophecy that is quoted in Matthew chapter 1. So what did this mean for Isaiah? What did this mean for Ahaz? Again, we need to understand context. So we, we know the context leading up to this prophecy. Well, what's the context immediately following? Verse 15 says, He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. If we want to know what this meant for Isaiah in his day and for Ahaz at this particular time, we just keep reading. It says that a child is going to be born. A virgin is going to conceive. And by, by the time that this child is able to refuse evil and choose good, that would be the, the, the child's bar mitzvah when they turn 13 years old, when they become a son of the commandment, they know how to choose the good, they know how to refuse evil. Isaiah is saying a child is going to be born. And, and before he turns 13, these two kings, as it says in, in verse 15, these two kings, the land of these kings will be deserted Syria and Israel, Pekah and, and 
resin, these two great and mighty kings that you're so afraid of, it's not going to be a problem for you 13 years from now. And true enough, this prophecy was made in 734 B.C., and you can check the historical records. This isn't just recorded in the Bible. It's, it's, it's confirmed elsewhere. In 732 B.C., two years later, Syria was conquered and defeated. In, in 722 B.C., Israel was conquered and defeated by the Assyrians to the north. And so this prophecy was fulfilled. The, the virgin had a child. And it wasn't, the virgin did not have a child in any, sort of, in any sort of miraculous way in Isaiah's time. The virgin had a child by, by getting married, by having a husband and doing what married people do and having a baby. And then 13 years later, 12 years later, Syria and Israel were no longer a threat to the people of Judah. And God miraculously rescued and saved the people of Judah because it was the Assyrians who came from the north that defeated Syria and defeated Israel but could not defeat Judah. Why? Because God had said He is Emmanuel, that God was with His people and He would protect them and He would provide for them. So, so does this mean that Matthew got it wrong? Like, is he misquoting the, the Old Testament here? If, if, if the promise was already fulfilled, if the, promise, if the prophecy was already fulfilled 13 years later, then why is Matthew quoting this passage then in, in the opening chapters of his gospel when he's telling the Christmas story? We'll turn from Isaiah chapter 7 to Isaiah chapter 9. In Isaiah chapter 9, Isaiah picks up on this theme of a child, but we get a little bit more information uh, about this. This is, this is a very special child that's going to, that's going to come. It says in, in chapter 9, verse 6, it says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and, then, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. That there was a child that was going to come, there was going to be a king. And this child was going to reign forevermore. The increase of his government, there was going to be no end. That there was a, a special child that was coming. And, and yes, Israel and Syria were defeated, you know, in, in time for, for a newborn baby's a bar mitzvah, 13 years from, from the time that prophecy was fulfilled. But that prophecy was also pointing to something far more significant. You see, the God of creation loves to work in patterns, repetitions, reproductions, rhythms, and layers. You know, we, we see it all over creation. You, you, think about, you think about putting a log on the fire, and you study that, that log from the tree, and you see the circles, the lines of the tree to, to show its age. It, it's a pattern. It's reproduction. 
There are layers. We, we see it in sediment, in rocks. When, when, when God forms a rock, we, we, we see the different layers. We, we see it in our own bodies, with our, with our skin. We see it with cells. We see it with DNA. We see patterns. We see structure. We see a rhythm. We see layers. We see reproduction. We see it in sound. And the, the beautiful songs that we've been singing as a, as a church family, there's, there's vibrations and there's waves, and there's rhythms. This is how God works. I mean, the whole planet is, is, is spinning and orbiting around and around. This is the way God works. This is the way creation works. And the way that God works in His creation is the same way that God works in history. That God loves to repeat things and he loves to do things in a pattern and he loves to start small and then have the pattern repeat and increase and reverberate and add more layers and complexity and beauty and glory. And so, yes, Isaiah chapter 7, initially, yeah, the virgin conceived because she got married and she had a baby. But when we get to Matthew chapter 1, the, there, there's, there's more layers that are being added. There's more complexity. There's more beauty. There's more mystery. There's more glory. You see, the virgin conceived in, 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 in Ahaz's day through marriage. But in Joseph's day, the virgin conceived not through marriage, but through a miracle. So, in order for us to understand this prophecy, this promise of Emmanuel, God with us, we've looked at it in Isaiah's day. Now, I want us to ask ourselves, what did this mean for Joseph? What did this mean for Joseph? So, turn back with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1 and verse 18. Verse 18 says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place this way. So there's three names of Jesus that are used here. Emmanuel is the one that we're zeroing in on, but there's also Jesus and there's Christ. We'll talk about Jesus a little bit later, but Christ is really important. If we want to know what Emmanuel meant for Joseph, we need to know that Joseph and all of the people were longing for the coming of the Christ or the Messiah, this anointed hero, this warrior king who was going to come and take everything that's wrong and make it right. This is, this is what Joseph was longing for. This is what his parents and grandparents were longing for. You see, Ahaz was concerned about Syria and about Israel, and then after them came Assyria, and then after them came Babylon, and then after them came the Medo-Persians, and then the Greeks, and then the Seleucids, and then the Egyptians, and then the Romans. And all along, the people of God were, were longing for the coming of the Christ. And Matthew here says that Jesus is the Christ. In, in Matthew 1 of verse 18, you see, the people of God were always wondering, had God really forgotten us? And, and up, until, up until this point, up until the Christmas story, there had been 400 years of dead silence. There were no more prophets like Isaiah that were making promises or prophecies. There was just silence. And in these days, God spoke and spoke through his son. 
It says that in verse 18 that his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. And before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Before they came together, there was no physical relationship between them. But she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Verse 19, and her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quickly. You know what's amazing here? That Joseph is described as being a just man, and because he is a just man, it says that he was unwilling to put her to shame. There's a lot of talk in our world. There's been a lot of talk in 2020 about justice, and going right along with the way that our world thinks about justice is that if you are not on our page, or if you will not agree with us, or say the things we want you to say, or raise the flag you want us to raise, then we will shame you and ostracize you. But to truly understand justice is also to understand mercy. So Joseph was a just man, and to the best of his knowledge, he, he just assumed that the only way that this could make sense, the only logical explanation for why Mary could be pregnant would be that she had been unfaithful. So Joseph was a just man. He knew that he couldn't go through with, with the wedding, but he also did not want to publicly shame Mary. You see, a true understanding of justice also protects people from shame. And so he wanted to divorce her quietly. Verse 20, but as he, as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. The angel comes, as Joseph is thinking about this, this angel comes and tells him that Mary has has conceived by the Holy Spirit. You see, when Jesus was born, the, the, the Holy Spirit made it possible for Mary to conceive, even though she didn't have a physical relationship with a man. Jesus was born of a woman. He was fully human in a mental capacity. In, 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 he was fully human mentally and physically and emotionally. I mean, ba baby Jesus had to, had to learn to talk. He had to learn to walk. He, he got thirsty. He got tired. He slept. He was fully human. He was born of a human mother, but he was the Son of God. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. So he is fully human, but he is also fully God. How else can you make sense of all of the miracles? Walking on water, calming the stormy sea, feeding thousands of people, healing the sick, raising the dead. Jesus is fully human and fully God. A human mother, but conceived by the Holy Spirit. This is the universe-altering, mind-blowing, life-transforming truth of the Christmas story, that the Creator became a creature, that the, the infinite, the eternal, the unchangeable, the indescribable, the transcendent God of the universe became a helpless baby. He had to be 
carried around. He had to be fed. He had to be, he had to be clothed to keep warm. He, he had to be protected. This is, this is unbelievable. This is, the, this is the most amazing miracle in the Bible that God would come to be with us. Jesus is Emmanuel. So the angel clarifies what is happening and then he commands Joseph on what to do. He says in verse 21, she shall bear a son and here's the command, you shall call his name Jesus and this is the reason why, for he will save his people from their sins. This is the, the second name. So we, we talked about Christ, or we're going to get to Emmanuel, but we need to understand the name Jesus. And the angel explains, here's why you got to call him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus is really just the, the Greek version of the Hebrew word Joshua, the Hebrew name Joshua, which means God saves. Jesus means God saves saves. Jesus came to save, and not to save like in Ahaz's day. Again, the pattern is expanding. It's getting bigger. It's more glorious. It's more incredible. He didn't just come to, to, to save the people from some sort of military threat. Military threats come and go. I mean, they've already had the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Medo persians all of these different enemies at different times. No, the pattern is expanding. There's more layers. There's more beauty. There's more glory. He's not just going to save them from the enemy out there. He's going to save them from the enemy in here. He was going to save them from their sin. He was going to save them from their sin. Sin is our rebellion against God's law and our rejection of God's love our rebellion against his law, and our rejection of his love. Adam and Eve were created to walk and talk and fellowship with God. And, and they're the ones that, you know, they ate the fruit in the Garden of Eden and, and they wanted to do things their own way. They wanted to be like God. And God gave them one law, one rule, and they rejected that rule. They rejected the law. And rather than being satisfied and fulfilled with the love of God, no, they wanted to become God, so they refused His love, and sin entered the world. And sin is the reason why, all, why, why, why our world is the way that it is, why there is the injustice, why there is the evil, why there is the, the, impression, the, the oppression. It's all because of sin. And all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We might be able to look at this person or at that person and think that they're more evil or wicked than us. But all of us need to understand that we have all sinned against a holy and a righteous God. We have all rejected his law. We have all refused his love. We need to get our eyes off of other people. It's easy to compare ourselves to other people. No, we need to compare ourselves to the standard of God and his love and his righteousness, we see that we all fall short. But Jesus came to save us from our sin. Sin is what stops Emmanuel from happening. Emmanuel means God with us. Sin is what makes it impossible for God 
to be with us because God is a holy God and a wrathful God. And when a sinful human being enters into the presence of a holy God, destruction, disintegration is is the only result. But Jesus came to save us from our sin. This is why he is Emmanuel, to save us from our sins so that God could be with us and so that we could be with God. You see, while Joseph slept that night and, and, was, and was having that dream, he was living in a time where there was a temple in the city of Jerusalem. And Ahaz lived in a time where there was a temple. It was, it was a different temple, but the, the, the two temples served the same purpose. They were the symbolic presence of God. The, the two temples were in a way God with us. They were in a, a way showing that God was among his people, but the temple was surrounded by walls, walls in a courtyard, walls leading into the temple, walls between the, 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 the entrance and the holy place, walls between the holy place and the holy of holy, and curtains and doors and walls and barriers. You see, God, God was practicing physical distancing because he is a holy God and we are a sinful people. But this little baby who was fully God and fully human lived a perfect life. He lived the life that none of us could live. He lived a life that was sin-free, sinless. But he died the death that all of us deserve to die because the wages of sin, what we deserve, the justice that is due to us because of our sin is death. Jesus died our death. And when he suffered and died, the curtain in the temple, the ultimate symbol of we do not belong in the presence of God, we cannot be with God, Emmanuel is impossible, that curtain ripped from top to bottom, not bottom to top. It wasn't ripped by man to reach up to God. No, it ripped from top to bottom, God reaching down to us to make a way for us to be with him. Jesus is God saves, and he came to save us from our sins. Listen, Jesus is not some religious leader trying to teach us how to get close to God. No, Jesus is God who has come close to us. And the only way for him to come close to us was to save us from our sin, to be Jesus, to be Joshua, to be God saves. So that he could be Emmanuel. So we've looked at what it meant for Isaiah, and we've looked at what it meant for Joseph. And then lastly, what does it mean for us? What does Emmanuel mean for us? Loved ones, we need to hear this. If you've never heard this before, listen, everything that's been happening in in 2020, I I can't explain why all of these things are, are taking place. Listen, I'm just as confused as you are. And listen, we can't always understand God's purpose. We can't always understand God's plan, but we can be confident in God's presence. But if you're here today and you do not have confidence in God's presence, you cannot know for sure that God is Emmanuel for you. you. You don't know for sure that God is with you. Then today is the day to, to respond in faith and repentance, to believe that that little child in the manger was fully God and fully human, to believe that he lived a sinless life, 
to believe that he died the death that I deserve and that you deserve, to confess your sin, the things that you've said, the things that you've done, the things that you've thought, the ways that you've rebelled against God's law, rejected his love, to confess all of those things, and then to commit to follow him as Lord. Then Jesus will be your Emmanuel. And I can't promise that 2021 will be any better than 2020, but we can know that whatever happens, God will be with us. You see, loved ones, I just want to share with you three truths that we can take with us this Christmas, that we can take with us at at any time and in any situation when we consider the reality of Emmanuel, God with us. Here's Here's the first one. God is with us as we face trials. He is with us as we face, face, face trials. These last several months, I mean, the, the whole year, 2020, it's just been trial after trial. Some of us have had big trials. Some of us have had small. Some of us have had challenges in our health. Some of us have had to bury loved ones. Some of us have, have lost our job. Some of us are losing hope. And many of us are struggling in all kinds of different ways right now, but we can be confident that God is with us, that he is Emmanuel as we face these trials. Think about Psalm 23 that says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are, here it is, with me. Because you are with me. God is with us. He is our Emmanuel. So whatever trials we face, we know that God is with us. The second thing I want to share with you is that God is with us as we are fighting temptation. As we are fighting temptation. This year has provided a a, a whole array of opportunities for the enemy to attack us, to, to send his flaming arrows our way, to try to distract us or deceive us. Loved ones, when we think about all this extra time at home, or we think about all of the the discouraging things that are happening in the news, when we think about the hopelessness, so many of us are tempted to give in to, to things like lust, to things like sexual sin. People are being tempted to give in things like depression and despair. People are tempted, they're so frustrated, they're so angry, they're saying things, they're writing things online. People are are responding in ways that, that are not honoring to God. And loved ones, there are unique temptations that are facing us this Christmas in 2020 that we have never faced before. But God is with us. And Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 tells us that we don't have a high priest who can't sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way and yet and yet and yet without sin. And he is with us and he will provide a way out. He is our Emmanuel. He's with us. He's with us when we face trials. He's with us when we fight temptation. And he's with us as we finish our task. He's with us as we finish our 
task, loved ones, we, have, we as a church have, have to make sure, and the whole point of this message is, is making disciples to those who don't yet follow Jesus to help them understand what it means for them to follow Jesus, and those who do follow Jesus for them to love him more with more of their, with more of their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to learn how to love their neighbor even more. Our whole mission is making disciples, and when Jesus gave the Great Commission to make disciples, he said, go into all the world, go into this broken world. Go into this divided world. Go into this world that is filled with fear over this virus and over so countless other things. Go into this world that is so filled with corruption and evil and wickedness. Go into this world that is filled with so much danger and oppression. Go into this world and make disciples, Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then he says, and surely I am, here it is, I am with you. I am Emmanuel. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And at the end of the age, we're, we're given the ultimate fulfillment of Emmanuel. We know what it meant for, for Isaiah. We know what it meant for Joseph. We know what it means for us, but it's going to mean something even, even more powerful for Isaiah and Joseph and us because we're all going to be there together in the new heavens and the new earth. And it's going to mean something again. The pattern is going to increase. It's going to get more beautiful and more mysterious and more glorious. Because Revelation chapter 21 verse 3 says, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. We will be with him forever. This is, the, this, is, this is the promise that was given to Isaiah, that was treasured and cherished by Joseph, that is embraced by us, and that will go on and reverberate all on into eternity. Emmanuel, God with us. Remember, loved ones, as we think about Christmas, remember that Jesus was born physically so that we could be reborn spiritually. Jesus was born to an earthly mother so that we could have a heavenly father. Jesus was placed in a manger so that we could have a place in heaven. Jesus was born economically poor so that we could have spiritual riches. Jesus entered into history so that we could step into eternity. Jesus came to be with us so that one day we will forever be with him. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you by your Spirit and we come to you in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ Emmanuel. We thank you that he is God with us. We thank you that although we're separate from one another right now, that you are present by your spirit, Lord. God, help us to be faithful in finishing the task of making disciples. Help us to be faithful in fighting against temptation and enduring the trials that we may face, Lord. God, we look forward to that day where we will be with you face to face, shoulder to shoulder with Isaiah and with Joseph and with one another. 
God, we love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.